Am I on? It's a good morning. All right. Uh, we have these, pr- these two bowls up here. One's the prayer bowl, one's the trumpet bowl. They are for your prayer requests. We also have another prayer bowl now on the connection desk. So we want to be praying for you. My house should be called a house of prayer. So if you just fill this, one of these, or on the back of the chair, there's a different looking prayer request. Just fill that out, put it in the bowl, and we will pray for you immediately and then at least once a month over that prayer by someone individually. So we'll make that a major part. And then also this year we started having this trumpet bowl, which is where you can put your answers. It's really, we haven't got a lot of them, but the ones we get are all, it's always fun to hear, hey, God answered my prayer, this, that, and the other thing. So that's there, and I want to remind us pretty much each service about that, okay? So Mark chapter 5, if you would stand, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20. I want to read not all those verses, but tell them what great things God has done for you and how he's had compassion on you will be the sort of the theme of what we're talking about from this text. So in Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 5, and then I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then verses 18 through 20, and we'll look at the whole text, go through it verse by verse. Here it is, Mark 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Verse 18. And when he got into the boat with Jesus, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However... Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So, Lord, we're thankful for your word, very thankful for your word. Please, I ask your blessing over the things I prepared, that you break them fresh, feed us, Lord, we're hungry. We know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's inspired. You, God, breathed it and gave it to us for our edification, correction, rebuke even, to, that we're fully equipped for every good work. We love it, Lord. So give us ears to hear, I pray. Please bless this time now in your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You can be seated. Well, somebody gave me after the first service, because the topic... This morning is in the demonic realm, which is all, it's a tough topic. It's a broad topic. It's huge. So after I was done teaching first service, a brother came up and gave me this, these couple things. When Satan knocks on my door, I ask our Lord to answer the door for me. You probably heard that. Here's another one. I hadn't heard this one. When Satan reminds me of my past, I remind him of his future. So, the Gospels tell them what great things God has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Compassion is pity in action, taking action to attend to a need. So, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, alluding to sheep. The thief does not come except 
This is why he comes. Comes at us, whatever, except to kill, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Isn't that, aren't those wonderful words? That's what we've been given from the Lord. He tells us we're in a battle. And we'll look at that this morning. Jonathan Edwards in the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, very well-known sermon, said, quote, The devils watch them like greedy, hungry lions that see their prey and expect to have it. But few but are for the present kept back. If God should withdraw his hand by which they are restrained, they would in one moment fly upon their poor souls, unquote. Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure, one little word will fail him. Jesus is our victory. Complete, finished, final. So they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately, it says, there met him a man of the, of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. I'm reading again just to, to re, just get the scope of what's going on here. It's intense. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. He was a monster. And always night and day, he was in the mountain and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And throughout this passage, which also is found in Matthew 8 and Luke chapter 8, there's this fluctuation that's going on between the person, the man, the personality, the soul, and this demonic, these, this demo, these demonic beings that were possessing his body. So here's a man fighting for his life. Being held captive, his soul is in his tormented body. He is demon-possessed. He is under the control of an unclean spirit, which turns out to be a legion. This piddle, listen, this pitiful man has lost everything. Whatever relationships he may have had are done. Whatever home or material possessions he may have had are gone. He is isolated. And we're talking severity. He has this supernatural strength somehow to break chains and, and all these things. Nothing could bind him. He's then come into this self-destructive behavior. He's a danger to society. How it happened, we're not told. But it happened. 
He's demon-possessed. And here's the thing. Society was powerless to do anything about it. All society could do was isolate him. Guard about him. Keep him away. Now, granted, this is an extreme case, but it shows us that the devil's intention and purpose is to destroy lives. And there's extremities to that. There's, there's different levels of that. And one of the things that comes up as I'm preparing is looking out at what's going on in our society today. And trying just to discern, you know, how does that work? How does that happen? What's going on here? Well, let me say this. Behind these kinds of things is certainly a demonic realm that's real. Out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. With all the wonderful social and scientific achievements, society still cannot cope with the problem caused by satanic, demonic influences, and that through sin. Leaving them, in one sense, victims. And so when he saw Jesus, this man, it says in verse 6, from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Well, you better say he ran and fell at his feet. Who did the running? The man did the running. His body, possessed by demons. But this battle is going to, I believe, at least to some extent, this man in captivity in his body by demons sees Jesus and, there's, and, and he just wants to get to him and fall down because there's something that's going on here that these demons know who Jesus is, as we'll see. But here's this man trapped in it, and there's this battle going on. Intense. This desperate, tor tormented man running, falling down before Jesus. Listen, Satan loves nothing better than to keep people running. Helter-skelter. This place, that place, this thing, that thing. To keep what I would call in the tombs, running to the tombs that are in the world. Religiosity will run to religion. Philosophies will run to philosophies. Trying to deal with a, in a fallen world with all the problems that come with it. Running to stadiums and athletic clubs. Running to taverns and bar rooms. Running to massage parlors and pornography. Running to therapy sessions and recovery groups. And I'm, I'm not saying that those are wrong, but what I am saying is, so long as they don't run to Jesus, they're fine. The devil's good with that. But boy, somebody starts running to Jesus, and the battle is turned up manifold. Donald Miller said, quote, It's not so much the aim of the devil to lure me with evil as it is to preoccupy me with the meaningless, unquote. So in verse 7, he cried out with a loud voice. What that sounded like was probably not human. And said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of God, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. 
Then he asked, what is your name? What is your name? And the answer saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. We're not talking one demon. We're talking a host of demonic beings. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send, him, send them out of the country. So this unclean spirit, this legion, whoever's the lead guy doing the speaking, under, knows who Jesus is and knows his authority over them. In Luke chapter 8, they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss, which is the abode of the dead. We know in Revelation that he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit. Jesus is in complete control. He is the authority in, in the spiritual realm as well as every other realm. So here's a man possessed, powerless, it's pitiful. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, verse 12. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirit went out and entered the swine. There, was about, there were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now this is weird. I mean, let's just say it's weird. You got 2,000 pigs. And these deer, they don't send us to the other kind. Don't send, don't send us to the abyss. So let us go into the swine. So he gives them permission. Go. And there they are. Some have said this is the beginning of deviled hams. I didn't say that. <laughs> let, let, me, let me say this. This is a tough topic. But these things are real. It's really, it's true. So how do we deal with this? What do we do about it? It's what I hope to encourage us this morning in. Why did Jesus give them permission? Number one. As proof of his authority over the whole demonic realm. They are not in charge. He gave them permission. And know this, that whatever God's allowing is always God allowing these things. Even allowing Job, Satan, to harass Job and even take his family from him, his possessions, his health. God allowed that for his purposes. Do I understand that? I don't. It's difficult. So he's authority over them. Secondly, proof that there was a deliverance of demons. And third, proof to the immensity of that deliverance. I mean, this guy was pitiful. He is a man possessed by demons who hate him and are seeking to destroy him, but letting him live so they could do their destructive things. Jesus was not trying to be sensational. Sensational means presenting information in a way that is intended to provoke public interest and excitement at the expense of accuracy. Let me say to you, what we're reading is accurate. He's not trying to be sensational. This is real stuff he's dealing with. It's miraculous, this miracle over the demonic realm. Last week we looked at his, his, the miracles over the natural realm, nature, these miracles. This one is on the, over the demonic realm. We'll look at death, we'll look at disease later. But here in this story, it's anything but 
at the expense of, of accuracy. There are very real and evil demonic activity at work to destroy people's lives. The devil is a great one to hide. He knows how to hide very well. Or to transform himself into an angel of light to deceive many. Jesus is the authority. He is the power. He is the authority to deliver us from every evil work. So, those who fed the swine, verse 14, fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. This is so fantastic. I love it. Sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who, again, had been with had been demon-possessed, and about the swine. They went, they, then they begged, began to plead with Jesus to depart from the Get out of here. Pack your boat and leave. Whatever, whoever it was that owned those swine just lost their livelihood. So could it be that they feared further economic loss? No matter that a man that they knew and had been around and they saw the torment of this poor pitiful man and what was going on. Afraid of that. But here, many, they just delivered. Incredible. No matter that he's now sitting and clothed in his right mind. My business is getting, is, is, uh, was affected by it. Out of here. You talk about a miracle. You talk about a changed life. You talk about something that was impossible, and yet Jesus comes along, and with a word, this man is clothed, sitting, and in his right mind. That's my Jesus. But to Satan, a soul is no more value than a swine. A person is of no more value than a pig. And as we might look at this, to the people in the city, in the country, his life was expendable if ever it threatened their livelihood. It says much about the sinful nature that the devil is behind to prompt and promote. Some suggest that this was a judgment of God. That the owners of the swine were Jewish, even though the major population was Gentile. And therefore, if, it's, if that were the case, they should not have been raising unclean pigs. So this was a judgment of God. I think it's an interesting possibility, but that's all I think. Maybe. Verse 18, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. You can hear him yourself. <laughs> Jesus just set him free. And he just wants to be with them. Let me go with you. You can hear the pleading, can't you? However, Jesus did not permit him. But said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he has compassion on you. 
And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, in the city, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So Jesus got in the boat. He miraculously brought his disciples through a hurricane at sea to deliver a poor man from Satan, then to get right back in the boat again and sail away. In other words, he came and did one thing. He delivered one man from the oppression and possession and destruction of the evil one. May I say to you, there's been times in your life where God had that same focus on you. That one time, he went and did something for you as though you were the only person on the planet to help you, to deliver you, to encourage you. That's our God. That's our Jesus. He'd go the lengths and width and breadth and height. His love covers that whole, all those dimensions to say to you, you're valued. You're valued. That's the only thing he did. He set the man free. And you have to know that was no small thing to that man. And just like we know, it's no small thing what happens to us. So I want to note that there are three petitions of Jesus in this account. The first is in verse 12 where he says, The demons begged him not to send them out. And so Jesus said, okay, yes. The second one is in verse 17, which, where it says there, the people plead with Jesus to depart. And Jesus said, okay. The third one is what we just read. He who had been demon-possessed begged to be with him. And this is when Jesus said, no. You see, Jesus has all authority over the demonic realm. He has to give them permission. And he did. Jesus will not stay where he is not wanted. Leave, leave. And he departed. But this third one is what captured me. Jesus knows best what this man needs most. Right at this moment in his life. He has been running around in tombs, cutting himself, self-destructive, cut off from society. Jesus heals him and he says, let me go. Wait, let me. No, 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 no. Right now, you need to go be with your friends and your family. You need to be home and be renewed and restored again to what I had for you in your home and your family. And let us never minimize the need that we have. Whatever the trauma be, we need a home. We need a family. We need friends. The church is to be our home in that sense. Believers are our family. But then they're, to this man, can you be, just, just imagine. In fact, some of us don't have to imagine. We know what it's like when our loved ones are taken over in these demonic realms, be it through drugs, alcohol, sexual addictions. We know it. We've seen it. We've lived through it. We've agonized through it. But then they come home. 
and Jesus, they met Jesus, and they're in their right mind. Something miraculous has taken place, and, and to be home is the place of a full healing. We must not forget we need that, and we must not forget that so does everyone else. We have the community meal. A lot of people come through those doors hurting. It says, you, Jesus said to him, you go tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. How he delivered them from the demons. Great thing. How did he do that? He had compassion. That's the heart of God. That's what he wants to do. Go home to your friends. Wow, what a great directive. And tell them how great things the Lord has done for you. And how he has had compassion on you. Compassion means to have pity. Really, it means to show kindness by assistance. What a great definition. To show kindness by assistance. That's the heart of God. Jesus moved with compassion on, in several, several times when he saw the people's need for a shepherd. Need to be cared for. Need to be, feel protected. Need to feel safe. Need the shepherd. He was moved with compassion. And so his heart through us should move in the same way. To have mercy, to show mercy, to show kindness by assistance. The opposite is to be indifferent. The opposite is to be heartless, to just turn it off. The healing heart of God is through a compassion that fail not. Fail not. So what do we take away from this? This miracle. The reality of demons is not confined to Jesus' day. Satan is real. Demons are real. The demonic realm is as real as it is invisible. Scripture points to their origin as fallen angels, unclean spirits, legions. The schemes and devices of the devil are for his mission to destroy that which God loves. So never underestimate the power of Satan. But never fall into the trap of unbelief in the power of Jesus Christ. His purpose, Satan's, is the final undoing of every soul he can possibly take. G. Campbell Morgan, favorite commentator of mine, said this, quote, These spirits were always seeking some material resting place, always hankering after some material instrument through which to act and in which to dwell. The New Testament is quite clear as to the existence of these spirits, quite clear as to their access to humanity, quite clear in its revelation of the fact that their access to humanity always meant harm wrought in human life, both in intention and purpose. There is no single instance in the New Testament, this is interesting, there is no single instance in the New Testament which suggests that a spirit of good takes possession of human beings, other than the spirit of God. There is no single suggestion of the spirit taking possession of a human being in order to the enlightenment, healing, and uplifting of that human being. There is no case in the Bible of men finding co communion with spirit, spirits who are in themselves good and pure and holy, save the lonely exception of the appearance of Samuel to Saul, unquote. God made us 
to have relationship with him individually, personally, uniquely. Our bodies as believers are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that communion is as intimate as it can possibly be. It's what God created us for. These ones that would come in and try and take that place are demonic. They're evil and destructive. It's only the Holy Spirit of God in our lives that then seals us in our relationship with God for all eternity. We can put together an almost complete alphabetic acrostic of the names of Jesus. Excuse me, of the name of Satan. Abaddon. Accuser. Adversary. Angel of bottomless pit. Angel of light. Deceptive. Apollyon, which means destroyer. B, Beelzebub. Belial. None of these are good. C, he's the crooked serpent. D, he's the devil, the dragon, the deceiver. E, he's the enemy. F, he's the father of lies. G, he's the god of this world. L, he's Leviathan. He's the liar. He's Lucifer. He's the murderer. None of these things are good. These are, these are the descriptions and names of Satan, a malevolent, evil being who rebelled against God sometime in, in eternity past, led a whole rebellion against in heaven, and then this whole demonic realm established themselves in God, by, through God's purpose and permission to be in rebellion against God and will never not be in rebellion against God. And so C.S. Lewis, and many of you know the Screwtape Letters, the book, which is written from Satan's side, classic book. I just heard of a movie that came out, it's come out called Nefarious. I, I, I saw the trailer, I thought, this is demonic. It turns out, well, at least it sounds like. Actually, I saw the guy that put it together, and he said it was taken from the screw tape letters. So I don't know if I'm going to see it or not because I don't like scary movies. <laughs> I'm not recommending that, okay? Say amen. Okay. <laughs> C.S. Lewis, so there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. A hail and hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. The devil. So here's the deal. I say I want to always make sure I keep Jesus between me and that realm. Jude said even Michael the archangel did not bring a reviling accusation against the devil, against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. I'm saying, the Lord, would you, they're knocking at the door, would you answer the door? You want to remind about my past? I'm going to tell you about your future. Yeah. There are many things in which people are dabbling. Many of them, many of these things hide the cliff from which they hang. Media that glorifies witchcraft and sorcery, a fascination with altered states of consciousness and glad reunions in the metaphysical place called the great beyond, where there's no judgment, 
There's no careful review of one's life. It's appointed that it's meant to die once. After this, the judgment. That's what the Bible says. To be sure, death has mystery. We are told, but don't worry. It's all going to be fine. You can go ahead and even in our, you can hasten if you want. You can hasten your arrival at that mystical uh, destination, that fantasy destination. Someone said, before you go blissfully on your way, you had better check your sources. You'd better make sure you have your facts straight as to the great beyond. Because it's appointed to men to die once, and after this, the judgment. And what the gospel declares is there's only one way to have our sins forgiven and to be delivered from the judgment of God against sin. It's through faith in, the G- in Jesus Christ, in his work for us on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. We have an advocate in the, in the heavens, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. It's the only way. Satan's ultimate goal is to tempt you, to tempt me, to sin against God. But before we become Christians, his whole thing is to tempt you to never believe in God. How does he do this? As in the garden, so today, he attacks the word of God. Questioning and casting doubt on the word of God. Adding to the word of God. Contradicting the word of God. We're seeing that more and more in the so-called church. And the result is this. It's questioning the character of God. And the results of that can lead to questioning the very existence of God. Satan is the great tempter. Has God really said that? Is that what the word says? You see, if Satan can succeed in getting you to doubt God's word, and may I say this, God is not intimidated by our questions, but are we coming to it with an honest heart? And I believe that God's bigger than all the questions that people may have. So it doesn't shake me up when someone is telling me, as was yesterday at the community meal, after two hours I talked with a gentleman about the Lord, about the Bible, about these things. God's not intimidated by our questions. He's bigger than all that. And I believe in the sincerity of our hearts, of a person's heart, in coming to want to know, is this true, is it not, that God is bigger than their questions, and God loves them without question. And what I did with this man yesterday, I just kept pointing it back to Jesus. Who is Jesus? You see, who Jesus claimed to be, the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father, but the claims that Jesus made to actually be God, I am God come in the flesh. These claims are a lunatic's claim if it's not true. You're insane. I'm God. And yet Jesus claimed these things. His enemies were his greatest witness to what he was claiming. 
And then he proved it when he died on a cross, rose from the dead, and through the resurrection, he is declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, then he's a lunatic. So that's going to be attacked. So to this gentleman yesterday, I said, who's Jesus? Who is he? You see, he claimed, and you can't run away from that argument. You can't run away from that. If he is the Son of God, then you're accountable. And that accountability is not on your terms. It's on God's terms. And he said, well, if God's God, and we want to, he could really, then he just has to raise this, you know, lift this cap up. Prove it. And I said, hold on a second. He already did much more than that for you. He sent his son to die on a cross. He sent his son to die for you. Why did he do that, I asked? Because he loves you. And I want to say, you start talking about the love of God. The goodness of God. The forgiveness of God. You see, built into our very nature is an understanding through our conscience that something's not right. Creation tells us God is real. Our conscience says something is wrong. Jesus Christ came and said, I am real and I've corrected all the wrong if you will put your faith in me and believe in me through the revelation that God's given in his word. So the devil's going to attack the word of God. And if he can get you to re even reject his very existence, he's going to hammer and hammer away at the foundation of creation. The fall, original sin, that we are born sinners by nature. The need for atonement. He's going to hammer these things and drive them, drive them, drive them in the ground. You can't provide these things for yourself. He's going to hammer on the reason that God gave his son. Because he loves you. He loves you. That's why the gospel, I told him, the gospel's not complicated. Very easy to understand. The question is, do you want to humble yourself before God and receive what only he can give you? See, it's a matter of pride as it was with the devil. Listen, God loves you, but Satan hates you. That's the, that's the truth. He will lie. He will deceive. He will do whatever he can to keep you from seeing, to keep you from taking God's truth as his re revelation of himself, that God is Jesus, God's son. He'll keep you as best in the darkness, blind you, lead you astray, get you busy. God in the flesh and blood died on a cross by shedding his, and shed his blood to give us life. He will do everything. He hates you. Anything possible to keep you from humbling yourself before God by confessing your sin, acknowledge you need to be reconciled to God on his terms, not yours, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have no terms to offer God by which you may be reconciled to him. Except your life. Missionary Zach Poon said, do you think the devil is impressed by anyone's Bible knowledge or degree? Certificates? Not at all. Satan fears only holy, humble men and women who know God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we know God. We know him. Wow. This compassionate, merciful, good God. 
Now, did he have to do that? No. Did he do that? Yes, he did. For you and for me. So this Christian life that we're living is a battlefield. It's a spiritual battle. Somebody say this, I'm not going to go into, like, if you want, in my notes. A Christian cannot be demon-possessed. A Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is not going to share his temple with the devil. We can be oppressed. We can be led into sin by these things. But as far as being possessed, no. We must stand against the devil. The battle is for the mind, how we think. The Christian has been issued complete armor. Ephesians chapter 6. By which we wage this war. And in which we are strong in the Lord. By which we can withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. This is ours. This is ours from God himself to us. To fight the fight of faith. To be able to discern and deal with these, these powers that are seeking to lead us to sin. So find no Bible study on this topic would be complete without this cross-reference in Revelation chapter 12. Where it says, verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. There is coming a time when it's over. In the meantime, we overcome him, first of all, by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been justified. We are being sanctified. And we will one day be glorified according to God's purpose through his son on the cross. My believing the gospel. My life, my whole life in his hands. He always leads me in triumph. You know, when Joshua went to the promised land, he meets this commander guy. He says, and Joshua says, are you for us or against us? You know what the answer was? No. Hold on a second. Let me ask you again. You didn't hear me. Are you for us or against us? No. See, the question was not, is he for us or against us? The question is, am I for him or against him? Am I? Is Joshua. And he bowed before that commander, what I believe was the appearance of Christ, and leading him into the promised land through Joshua. It's the same thing. The question is not, the question's been answered, is God for us as believers, as human beings? You bet he is. He sent his son to prove that. And if God is for us, who can be against us? The question is, am I lining up with God? Am I giving my life to God on his terms through the gospel and all that he's provided for me? And so the gospel is telling them what great things God has done for you. So I'm going to close. If I can have uh, guys go get communion ready and our worship team come out.
I want to just share with you a small part of the word of my testimony that overcomes the devil. Different parts of this at different times. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. I remember when I first came back to Christ, my friends in New York, ah, he's 110% in everything he does. He'll be over this in a little while. Let me tell you something. I'm not over it. <laughs> it has overcome me. They did not love their lives to death. Whatever's going to happen, I believe the grace of God, the goodness of God will see me through the worst of time, even its martyrdom. God will be the one who sees me through it, and to God be the glory, great things he has done. So here's my little word of my testimony. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed for I know in whom I believe and I persuaded that he, that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. I know that God is for me, so who can be against me? I know that greater is he who is in me than he that's in the world. I know that the Holy Spirit of God lives in me to guide me, instruct me, empower me in all things pertaining to life and godliness. I know that I have a great high priest seated in the heavens who ever lives for me, for me. I know that God has equipped me with spiritual armor by which I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might and because of which I can withstand and having done all to stand victorious against every principality, power, rulers of darkness and, and the rulers of this world. I am persuaded all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that I may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I believe in the power and therefore the importance of prayer because it's the deciding factor. I understand the devil will tempt me through my fleshly appetites and worldly attractions. Therefore, I understand the importance of being sober and vigilant uh, and watchful at all times while the peace of God stands guard over my heart. I understand that Jesus always leads me in victory. So it's important that I always keep Jesus in front of me, following him. I always keep him in between me and all the junk of my own flesh, the world, and the devil. I understand that if I am to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, I have a duty to trust and obey because there is no other way. He who enlisted me will also train equip and lead me in victory. I understand that I can fight the good fight of faith. I can lay hold of eternal life to which I'm called. Hmm. And I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor life nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you persuaded? I'm persuaded. The thing about God's mercy and grace, he continues to persuade me. I know 
I know that my departure is at hand. When I have finished my race, when by the grace of God I've kept the faith, that finally, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. That's just a little bit of the word of my testimony. That God is faithful. So we're going to take communion. This is a perfect time. We're taking context of our study this morning. To give your life back into the hands of him who is able. To place them there. If there's sin in your life, if there's things that the Holy Spirit has been sort of speaking to you about, then unload it right now as you hold the bread and hold the cup. Because in communion, we're remembering what Jesus did, past, and that he's coming. We do show his death until he comes. So we look at the cross and we realize the finality of the finishing work of Jesus Christ has already happened. All my sin, past, present, and future, has been taken care of on the cross. But then he's coming again. We do show his death until he comes. So here we are, brothers and sisters, in the Lord. We're here as believers, wanting Jesus at his office to do this, do this in remembrance of me. As I was saying to the brother outside yesterday, so I say to us, it all is about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust thee. I don't remember the rest of it, but there it is. The piano's giving me the perfect key. Blessed assurance, Jesus mine. Let us sing this song as the emblems are being passed out. Close yourself in with Jesus this morning and just thank him. Confess to him whatever it is that you need this morning. He's there right now for us.